22. Please open your Bibles again at Psalm 22 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's an outline available also on the website that you might find helpful. If a Doctor Who type time machine could ever exist and I could access it and use it, I think my first journey would be to go back to a Sunday about 2,000 years ago to walk on a dusty road between Jerusalem and Emmaus to join in a conversation between three men There would be no social distancing protocols in place on that particular day, so I could get right and close, and I could hear every word. Now, the the scene that I'm describing is familiar to most of us. It was the first Easter Sunday, and two disciples had been in Jerusalem over the weekend, the weekend when Jesus had been arrested and tried and crucified, And, of course, there were all kinds of rumors going around that he had risen from the dead. But these men did not believe it. They had been told that the tomb was empty. They had been told that they appeared to certain women, but they did not believe. And so they were on their way home to Emmaus, convinced that this dream that they believed in was over. This dream that the Messiah had come was now dead. And while they were talking together about all that had happened, Jesus drew alongside them and asked them what they were discussing. And they replied by telling him about himself. It's almost comical. They would have um, told him about how the leaders of the people had handed him over to be crucified by, by the Romans, how they had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Now, that's exactly what Jesus was doing, of course, but they didn't understand it. Now, at this point, Jesus could have identified himself and said, Hey, look, it's me, it's Jesus, I'm alive. But instead, we are told that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, that's a fascinating statement That's a Bible study I wish I'd been part of. That's a sermon I wish I could have listened to. And I'm sure you feel the same way compared to listening to this this sermon. But imagine recording that particular message of Jesus describing to these two men all that the Scriptures said about him. Now, which passage did Jesus cover? We can guess. Possibly start in Genesis 1. Genesis 3, I'm sure, would have been in there. Genesis 22, Isaiah 53. And as we thought about last week, and again later on today, Psalm 22. Now, last Sunday, we began looking at Psalm 22, the description of the execution and the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, the Psalm was written by David, but of course, it's prophetic and it's messianic. It deals with the spiritual pain that Jesus would suffer on the cross, the emotional pain that Jesus suffered, the physical pain that Jesus suffered. And of course, all the suffering was beautifully balanced by teaching about God's unfailing character, about God's personal blessing, and about God's future grace. 
Now, before we return briefly to the rest of Psalm 22, I think it would be good for us today to celebrate the fact of the resurrection. In a sense, to bring joy and and gratitude into our hearts on this day. The most important thing that you can ever know is tied up in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what it means. And so I say that again, especially for children and young people. But for all ages, the most important thing you can ever know is tied up in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is not useless trivia. This is not a kind of spam email that you delete as fast as you possibly can. It's not one of these recorded phone messages trying to sell you something. This is not fake news. This is truth as of first importance. This truth is of crucial importance. Nothing, nothing, nothing can come close to it. Why? Because of verse 2, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 2. By this gospel, you are saved. You see, this gospel message will change your life. Oh, yes, it will. And it will change your eternity. The stakes, therefore, are massive. They couldn't be greater. Your soul matters. It matters so much that God would send his son to die and to rise again to show you just how important you are. And this message of the death and resurrection of Jesus calls us to sit up, to pay attention, and to put our trust in this good news. Let's think about these facts as they are recorded for us in 1 Corinthians 15. First of all, in verse 3 there, you'll see that Jesus died. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Now, notice, according to the Scriptures. See, history was waiting for Jesus to come. He had been promised through the Old Testament prophets and all the different writings, detailed promises regarding his birth, that in fact he would be born of a virgin, that he would be sinless, that he would be betrayed by friends, that he would be crucified, that he would be laid in a rich man's tomb, and hundreds of other prophecies, all fulfilled by Jesus. His life, his death, and his resurrection. You see, he died according to the Scriptures. And note that he died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. In other words, his death was not an accident. It wasn't a a, a tragic waste of a young life. His death was part of the purposeful plan of God to forgive us our sins. Now, in the medical world, they use terms like diagnosis, prognosis, and remedy. You see, the diagnosis of the human problem is sin. The prognosis of the human condition is death. And the only remedy for the human disaster is the sacrifice of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. So, Jesus died. 
And then you'll notice at the beginning of verse 4 that he was buried. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried. Now, typical of his day, Jesus would have been wrapped up in layers of linen cloths and spices, almost like a mummy that we see in the, in the, from Egypt. We're not really used to that here, but that's how they would have buried in those days. And to ensure that there was no tampering with the body, a large stone was rolled across the entrance of the tomb. The seal of Rome was placed there, and a, a squad of soldiers kept watch. And each of these things was saying, stay away, do not tamper with this body. But unlike anyone else, Jesus rose from the dead. We notice that in verse 4. So he was buried and that he was raised on the third day again, according to the Scriptures. See, nothing, no one could stop him. It was impossible to stop Jesus rising again from the dead. Not the stone, not the seal, not the guards. And eyewitnesses verified it. Note the variety of eyewitnesses, as we're told here in 1 Corinthians 15. For instance, friends were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Verse 5, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Now, you might have expected some loyalty, even from the likes of denying Peter and doubting Thomas. But would these men, who had believed so much, who had been told so much, who had trusted so much, who had followed so much, would they suffer and die for a lie if, in fact, Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead? I don't think I would. I don't think you would. I don't think they would. You see, his friends were eyewitnesses to his resurrection. And then there were crowds of people. Verse 6. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. I think Paul's saying there, if you doubt me, then go and ask any of those 500 witnesses. He says, most of them are still alive. Some have died. Most of them are still alive. They will tell you what they saw because they were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. And then there were relatives named in verse 7. One's named. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. James was the brother of Jesus. After the resurrection, he was convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead. After the resurrection, the family of Jesus were transformed by the truth of the resurrection. Lastly, we see that an enemy was an eyewitness to the resurrection. Verse 8, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Saul, who later became Paul, despised the church, hated Jesus, and opposed the church. And yet Paul met the risen Jesus, and he was radically transformed. And so the murderer became a preacher, and the blasphemer became a servant of Christ and his church. And eventually, we believe it cost him his life. Would he 
an enemy of Jesus and the church and the gospel die for a lie? You see, when we meet the risen Jesus, we too can be radically transformed. This is the good news of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. By the way, this isn't given to us for our information, but for our transformation. Now, Christians are not perfect people. In fact, Christians are not even good people. Christians are sinners who've been saved by the grace of God, by the gospel of Jesus. Notice verse 2 again. By this gospel, you are saved. So I say to you, be saved. Be saved. So we celebrate the fact of the resurrection. Let's turn briefly to Psalm 22 before some closing application about what the resurrection actually means for you and for me. Now, Psalm 22 doesn't say in black and white that Jesus rose from the dead, but several things indicate that the resurrection took place between verse 21 and verse 22 in the thinking of the psalmist and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There are three reasons. I'm not going to get bogged down in all the the technical arguments, but briefly let me explain what those uh, three arguments are, those three reasons are. Verse 21 could and perhaps should read, rescue me from the mouths of the lions. That's his prayer. The second half could read, you have heard or you have answered me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now, most, of, most scholars actually translate it this way, even the footnote in the NAV, the translation that, that I would use most of the time. And what we see here is that there's a sudden note of calm confidence. Gone is the suffering and the pain and the abuse and the dying. And instead we have praise and testimony and celebration and talk of outreach. So that's the first reason why we believe there's a change from the crucifixion to the resurrection in Psalm 22. The second reason is that verse 22, Jesus says, I will declare your name to my brothers. Now, of course, it's David speaking, but remember, this is prophetic. This is messianic. I will declare your name to my brothers. Jesus never called his disciples brothers before the resurrection, only after the resurrection. You can check it out later on. John chapter 20, verse 17. Hebrews 2, verses 11 and 12. The third reason is why we believe that this section is speaking about the resurrection is that the results described in this last section of Psalm 22 are what actually happened after the resurrection of Jesus. Obviously, far beyond David's personal experience, because he was writing about a greater David, the son of David, the Lord Jesus himself. So what are these results? Well, we'll spend some time just briefly looking at them. In verse 22, for instance, we see fellowship. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. So we today are the brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he fellowships with us, and he declares God's name 
which means his character and his attributes. He declares these things to us. So today, enjoy his fellowship. Enjoy his fellowship on Easter Sunday because he is alive. You'll notice praise in verse 22 and verse 23. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. Now, if Jesus had died and remained dead, then there would be no no place for praise. We would still be lost in our sins, hopeless and helpless. But, of course, he is risen, and so we can praise him. Today, praise the mighty name of Jesus. And then we see testimony in verse 24. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Oh yes, the Father did not leave his anointed Messiah in the tomb. The Father listened to his Son and raised him to life. Now we can witness to the fact that Jesus was raised and is alive. And then there's celebration in verses 25 and 26. For you, from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your heart live forever. Now, these verses picture a kind of Hebrew celebration, a public thanksgiving, a feast of appreciation. It's not unlike, of course, our communion service. We are unable uh, to do this. Uh, Last Thursday, we should have been here in this building around the Word and and around the table. But not so this time, this year. But soon, God willing, we will meet again around the Word and around the table, and we will celebrate His meal. And we will be able to say, Jesus died and Jesus is alive. We'll be able to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he's coming again, of course, because he's alive. The last section, verse 27 to 31, points to the evangelism that will take place, of course, after the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven. The mega good news of the risen Savior will be proclaimed to all the nations and to all generations. You'll notice in verse 26, the poor are mentioned. Verse 29, the rich are mentioned. To all who will acknowledge their need of salvation. Now, of course, there is no good news to share if Jesus is dead. But there is salvation news if he is risen. And of course, he is risen. So what? So what does this mean to us today? What difference does it make in our lives today? What relevance does the resurrection have for me and my family and my world today? Well, as we conclude today's sermon, I think there are a number of questions answered by the resurrection A number of questions are answered. Let's think about them. There are six in all. We'll deal with them briefly. 
First of all, I think it answers the question of suffering and pain and mistreatment. What we must constantly learn, especially in in these days of suffering for our world, is that God is sovereign even in the midst of suffering. He is in control even in the midst of suffering. Nobody suffered more than Jesus. And God never, ever wastes a hurt. He will always intervene in His way and in His time. And most times, in my experience and in the experience of God's people, is that He uses hurts. And the hurts that Jesus suffered, the pain, the mistreatment, all were for my benefit, your benefit, our benefit. So this resurrection that we believe in, this resurrection of Jesus that we believe in, answers the question of suffering and pain and mistreatment. Secondly, it answers the question of doubt. Is it true, you might be asking deep down? What is truth, you might be asking? How can I know the gospel is true? There are so many other belief systems out there, philosophies and theologies out there. How do I know that this is true? Well, like Thomas, doubting Thomas, the evidence of the resurrection can displace doubt from your mind. And and you, you can move from being someone who says, I will not believe it, to saying, my Lord and my God. You see, believing in the resurrection, accepting the resurrection, having faith in the resurrection of Jesus, answers the question of doubt answers the question of loneliness. Because again, you might be saying, does anyone really care for me? Do I matter to anyone? Well, I think the resurrection proves that you matter deeply to God. Jesus died as a payment for your sins and rose again to demonstrate just how important you are to him. And he can meet your deepest need for a relationship with God because he's alive. Because he's alive, he can introduce you to your God and to your Father. You see, the resurrection answers the question of loneliness. It answers the question of weakness. I mean, can I change? What about all the sin that I find so difficult to leave? Can my sinful habits be broken? I'm enslaved to this sin, to that sin. Can I ever be free? I am so weak. Can anything help me? You see, the risen Jesus radically changed that first group of weak disciples hiding away in the upper room And an encounter with the living Jesus can give you strength just as it gave them strength. So meet him today and know him today. And let's replace weakness with his strength. Number five, it it answers the question of guilt. How can I get rid of all my guilt? I feel dirty inside. I feel guilty because I'm not 
the person that people think I am. I'm empty. I am lost. Again, I say to you that the resurrection is final proof that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus as your sin substitute. So Jesus is a sin bearer. I need that you need that we need. And his resurrection proves that his payment for my sin is accepted. My guilt is washed away. And then lastly, it answers the question of death. What happens when I die? And I will die someday, I know that. Is there anything beyond this life? And in days when many people are dying, and I may die soon, is there anything beyond this life? Again, the resurrection proves that there is life beyond death. See, it's not just a theory, eternal life. It's a proven reality. Jesus came back from the dead to show us there is a heaven, there is eternal life, and that he is God. Because Jesus is alive, death never has the last word. Jesus is alive, and so we say with the the, uh, hymn writer, hallelujah, what a Savior. Can I be sure of all of this? Yes. It does require faith. That's why it's called saving faith. But look at the last words of Psalm uh, 22. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. For he has done it. Or, as Jesus put it, it is finished. Death has been defeated. Sin has been paid for. Salvation has been procured. And many people throughout our world today are coming to salvation in Christ. Many people are coming to know our great God through His Son, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. And the promise of Scripture is this, that one day everything will be different. Everything will be put right. No more pain. No more dying. No more tears. No more sin. No more COVID-19. One day, we will see Jesus face to face. Feed on it. Feed on this truth. Take great comfort from the gospel. Victory belongs to Jesus. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And by this gospel, you are saved. So be saved today. Know the Savior. Know salvation. Know our Jesus risen from the dead. Happy Easter to you and to yours. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son into this world to be our Savior. You did not leave us in our sin and misery. You came and you intervened 
and you brought life and hope and rescue. And thank you for the pictures of, of this that we see in the Old Testament and then the reality in the Gospels, the explanation of it all in the epistles. Thank you for the good news of Easter. And thank you particularly that this is, this is theology and doctrine that affects the way we live our lives, how we deal with suffering and pain, how we deal with our doubt and our loneliness and our weakness and our guilt and our death. Oh, write the gospel message on our hearts and minds so that indeed it will be this gospel that leads us to salvation. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.